0: G'day Inverse Community, I'm Jared McKenna, and I can't tell you how excited I am about my co-host Dr. Drew Hart's new book, Who Will Be a Witness? Igniting Activism for God's Justice, Love and Deliverance. To quote that towering 20th century figure of God's justice, love and deliverance, Abraham Joshua Heschel. There are no final proofs for the existence of God. There are only witnesses. For Heschel, much like the Hebrew prophets and that nonviolent messiah of justice named Jesus, faith is not merely to be believed, faith is to be embodied. Drew Hart is fast becoming a go-to voice for articulating a practical and prophetic embodied faith in our time. In these additional episodes, alongside our regular interviews, I think you'll hear why. Over the next coming weeks, we will interview friends and co-workers in what John Lewis called Good Trouble to discuss chapter by chapter Dr Drew's new book. These conversations were recorded in community with friends from around the world as part of Inverse's ongoing work to create formation experiences that deepen our witness to God's justice, love and deliverance. So grace and peace to you. Enjoy this conversation on this chapter in Drew's new book.
1: So it's my pleasure to introduce our guests for today. Um, Most known as D.L. Mayfield, um, also as Danielle, and she is a writer from Portland, Oregon. Um, Her first book was called Assimilate or Go Home, but she has a more recent book, uh, Myth of the American Dream, uh, Reflections on Affluence, Autonomy, Safety, and Power. It's an excellent book. And for those that haven't heard it yet, um, you can certainly catch Jared and I's uh, conversation with Danielle on the Inverse podcast. If you're not subscribing already, here's your invitation to do so. Um, She has written and appeared in a whole range of sources, Sojourners, Christianity Today, Washington Post, among others. Um, And also just more recently, one of the things I was really interested in, Um, is just some of her experiences as she's been really on the front lines uh pretty frequently in some of the portland protests and i thought she would just make an excellent guest for us today to dialogue around some of this content so uh welcome uh danielle um and before we get going i i want to acknowledge that you live on the west coast and that you have these fires going on right now um and so um how are you doing how is your family doing how how are you all being impacted by all of this how's your neighborhood yeah
2: yeah thanks for asking because it's it's just such a wretched time to live here and i'm still trying to wrap my head around that since i love my neighborhood i love my space and so um yeah, this is going on day six of really not being able to be outside in any way because the air is so hazardous because of all the fires that have been happening. And luckily, my neighborhood didn't have to evacuate, which is good because there's so many people that live here. A lot of people don't have access to cars or anything like that. So that's great. But all of us are struggling with just the air. It's like the air is groaning. Um, we can't see the sun. Like this is again, six days of this. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a hundred percent affecting me. How could it not? So yeah. <laughs> thanks for letting me say that because I, I'm a hundred percent not okay. Um, yeah. partly due to that, but that on top of everything else, right. Going on in Portland and, uh, globally, it's, it's just a lot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, you know, you've, um, in fact, I guess it's been interesting, and I'm even curious some of your perspectives on why, but maybe we can get to there later. But but Portland has been um, just extremely consistent in terms of just enduring protests against police brutality. Um, and it's been on the news. It's been kind of a global story. Um, and you've been present for quite a bit of, I've seen pictures of you up there in the mix with your helmet on and your goggles on, ready for confrontation. and so. I know that your faith is really important to you. So how does your faith inform your willingness to like confront and be kind of in the midst of all that's going on?
2: Yeah, I think what I want to say first is that as I was reading, you know, the first few chapters of your book, I was like, why didn't I have this a few months ago? You know, it would have been really helpful because one thing that has been hard is been feeling pretty isolated as someone who wants to keep my faith at the forefront of why I want to be, Uh, at protests in particular. And so feeling a slight sense of where are my other people who love Jesus and want to do this as a form of prayer almost, you know, that's like, that's how I feel when I am with a group of people um, at a protest. It, It feels like embodied prayer, you know, prayer in the pavement. And, you know, I love a good protest signs. So this is something I've been doing for a little while. Uh, I would say six to since 2016, right? Protests have kind of ramped up a little bit, at least in my world, because I am coming from a really privileged space where I didn't grow up in communities where we needed to protest police brutality against our own bodies. Right. And so I think I'm just coming really late to this game and I don't really feel like (laughs) in this conversation I'm the expert because I'm not. I'm just somebody who is stumbling into this moment in history um, just bringing my full self and my full self loves to hold up signs and uh, be involved with my neighbors and if my neighbors are suffering I would like to um just be a little bit more vocal about saying I'm not okay with this anymore and the status quo has got to change. So I'm on a journey. Uh, being in Portland has like forced the journey a little bit <laughs> you know the past few months and I'm feeling a little bit of the the strain of that. I would say even um, spiritually not being really prepared for uh, some of the stuff that has happened and I would say what has turned out to be the most devastating is not getting tear gassed. It's not all this horrible stuff that has happened to me and to a lot of people I know, Uh, but it has been the response of the Christian community in the face of these protests and the things they have said to uphold the status quo, the status quo, which is killing people. um, I, I, I kind of still at this point, I don't know how to reconcile that spiritually. Um, So I have no good answers, but that's something I want to talk to you about is how, how do we do this, Drew? How do we continue to walk in faith when we do see Babylon so clearly? And I'll say one more thing that I want to hear from you, but as people were sharing in their groups about what they got from this chapter in your book, um, you know, the things that really stood out to me, too, stood out to a lot of other people that I, I was talking to in the groups, which is that Jesus did not come and protest against Rome. You know, he didn't point his finger at Rome. He he was saying, I'm actually here to protest the religious leaders and this religious institution and how it has become embedded in these cultures and uphold oppression. And, um, you know, now where I'm at today, I'm like, yes, and that's totally where America is with the white evangelical church. But I have to be honest and say, um this is a very recent realization for me. And that fact just fills me with a lot of sorrow and a little bit of fear. Like if I can have read Mark, the gospel of Mark so many times in my life as a pastor's kid and never got that really seemingly basic and fundamental concept that you outlined so beautifully. um, It just makes me so aware of how many blind spots I have to overcome as somebody who is both from and who benefits from our current day babylon system right and so i just when i hear people sharing these truths um i'm so like i'm so honored to be hearing from other people and then i still have the sense of i've got it so wrong for so long um and so i just want to kind of speak that out i'm not sure if other people maybe feel that too but it's a it's a big thing that we have to continue to wrestle with as we move forward
1: Yeah, I mean, I always, uh, one of the things I appreciate about, because, I mean, you, you share a lot about your upbringing and the evangelical and even fundamentalists and you talk about homeschooling and all that whole world that I I don't really understand all of it, but I appreciate your honesty about um, just the path that you've been on and the ways that you, without trying to pretend like that wasn't it, grapple with that, right, with this, the way that you've been formed in the world and how your faith has been formed. so. I really appreciate that honesty i'm I'm not sure so what was your question for me like it was how do we (laughs) grapple with like how do we respond to christians that are just got it so wrong is that like
2: well kind of okay if you want to know my actual question and you don't have to answer this if you don't think this is a good idea when i read your chapter i was like this is so great this is so amazing but we are not jesus what are some amazing examples of people who have kind of gone up against the religious institutions who are embedded with the status quo and protested them. And of course, you talk about uh, Dr. King, and that's an amazing example. One of the things I love that you did is you didn't just focus on Dr. King, right? You brought in all the other organizations and all the other people that were doing the work. And, and one thing I've noticed in Portland right now um, is just this desire for like, one perfect protest leader that we can all follow and like do everything perfectly so that the entire thing would change overnight and be wonderful. Cause that's what white people want. You know, like we just want it fixed like that. And if there's like one perfect leader that spoke in a language, we could understand that we could follow like whatever. So I guess my question is since a lot of us in this group probably do want to see Jesus's liberating work come and we understand we have to start to go and tell the church like, you're doing some things wrong. Um, what are some good like spiritual practices to be able to do that work? Because we're not Jesus, right?
1: Yeah. And, and I don't think, I mean, what is powerful? I mean, so if you think about, for example, right right now I'm in the teaching uh, from one of my classes, we're reading, uh, which is just a history book, right? But the half has never been told. So it's about slavery, right? Um, and it, as far as Uh, history books on slavery go it's not the most it's not the most significant focus on um, faith and religion but it shows up because you can't not deal with that and so as my students are engaging um, around that topic um, and this is for a first year seminar this is not my theology course this is just a first year seminar course I'm teaching and they're like getting hit with like oh my goodness you know what are all these Christians doing they're imposing you know Christianity using as a weapon to justify just the most violent, brutal oppression and torture of Black people. Um, and so they're trying to make sense of it. But I, but I think that um, the whole thing, I mean, it's always, all of it is a clash of two, at least two, if not more, Christianities, right? And so I've heard C.T. Vivian, um, before he passed away, he had I remember, I think he was the first person I heard him like quite say it the way he did so succinctly that it hit me when he said that um, the civil rights movement, it was, a, it was really about a clash of two Christianities. Mm. And I thought it was really kind of profound when just how he said it exactly, it just kind of hit me in a different way. Like just a clash of two Christianities. Um, and so there always have been just... Very I would say contradictory understandings of what it means to be christian, and they have they 've been butting heads from you know the moment that enslaved folks began to internalize and encounter a liberating Jesus right and a co sufferer and a friend in hard times um, and people had to always make a choice about which stream they were going to join which which voices they were going to listen to, and it was never um, you know, there was never the perfect voice, there was never the, I mean, so I guess that what's the spiritual practices, how do we, in the, in this case, use the language of how do we make sure that we're stealing away too, right? Uh, are, we, are we in the brush arbors, right? Are, are we in that space encountering this liberating God, or are we participating in status quo Christianity um, that that is afraid to imagine otherwise, right? I mean, so I think that in terms of spiritual practices, is where where is that happening in our communities, um, and how am I going to be? How am I going to encounter that the delivering presence of God in the world and join in right, even in dangerous ways? <coughs> so yeah, I mean, I think that's the big. I mean, obviously, we could get into very specifics about you know church practices and stuff like that, but but I think for now, I think that that's the bigger question is. Um, what what Jesus are we encountering, hmm. right? Um, and and that's a scary question to ask because some of us might get to a point where we realize that Jesus I've been following all this time is the Westernized, whitened, domesticated, diluted, watered down Jesus, right? Um, and that's a hard thing because I imagine that even folks who have followed the diluted Jesus. Have done so very passionately and enthusiastically and genuinely, right, um, and so what do you do with all of that, right, um, but I do think that if we are committed to Christ as preeminence above all things, um, then it's always an opportunity to seek for the more authentic Jesus uh, to go running in that direction and to drop everything, right, and, and go in that direction however as much as we can see, as much as we can figure out in that moment, we move decisively in that way. And I think, yeah, that's just a part of the call and the challenge. And, and to be fair, none of us see Jesus thoroughly and fully, right? We're always in parts, but, but some, I do think that we have to be able to say that there are moments in time where some communities are not following the same Jesus at all. It's not just a matter of seeing dimly. Sometimes mm. it's just a, a different Jesus. And that's where I think and I'm, I'm usually like I, I believe that we have to be cautious about just throwing that around like, oh, you just don't see, you, you know, we got to be cautious because then in some ways, that's just some of the Western heresy hunting proclivities all coming alive that we have to be careful of. And at the same time, I fully believe, which is why I quote him in the introduction, right? Frederick Douglass, there's true Christianity, there's Christianity of this land, right? I love this one Jesus and I hate the slaveholding woman whipping cradle robbing Jesus. Um, of the of this land and so I think all of those things are true
2: yeah yeah thank you for saying that I I think the story that you talk about Mark 11 in this chapter is really profound and for me it's been such a helpful framework right to just say like look at the fruit (laughs) you know that's just this phrase that keeps going through my mind we need to look at the fruit Of, you know, for me coming from a white evangelical context, I need to look at the fruit. And unfortunately, the headlines are just like banging me in the face, like every day of how rotten that fruit is. And yet when I read Mark 11, again, this is probably coming from my own cultural context, which is rather stunted. Uh, you know, a part of me does want to hesitate and be like, is this really turning over the tables in a temple kind of moment? Um, Should we just try harder to talk to our people and get them to be nicer? Um, And the sense I've had right in the past few months is like, this is ramping up to something extremely big. Um, And I don't quite know what to do with that. But it does seem like a point similar to Mark 11, where Jesus is asking us to look at the fruit um and yeah i'm not sure uh if you want to kind of expand on that kind of a more like talking about today because i know you wrote this book you know (laughs) a few months ago but um what what is like what does that scene in mark 11 feel like to you right now
1: well what is interesting when i read it right now and i almost i was like man i wish i like could have written it just a few months later right um not because I would have changed the focus of the chapter, but if I knew um, that the Black Lives Matter moment would have revived and there would have been conversations around policing, mm-hmm. I would have incorporated that more explicitly. Like I talk about um, the you know, mass incarceration and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, but, but because of the conversation in, um, around policing and policing systems and the way that I think Christians are scared to enter into this conversation, uh, many at least are um, that I think you know. That's probably where I would have gone a little bit more explicitly, just to because I think we we lack the courage and the imagination to to believe that um, we can actually have systems that actually promotes well being and safety for all people, right? Um, and so we're so committed to what is right now the status quo of our systems, and, and at most tweaking them that we we're afraid to say you know. These things are rotten. They're fruits. Mm. They're not producing what they claim to be all about. And they need to, <laughs> we damn them, <laughs> and they need to wither away and die and be replaced with something else, right, that actually promotes public safety, that actually promotes well-being. And so I think these are hard conversations, at least certainly I've seen it. And this is not just in white dominant cultural spaces. Even sometimes you know, in the church, in Black communities, so, we don't always want to go there. We want to stop short, even as we see the fruits that has come from it, right? Um, but we lack the imagination to believe that God can have something better for an, for us in store when we actually dream God's dreams and actually pursue them for the common good of our communities. So I'm curious, though, as I say all that, like, what are your thoughts? I'm curious what you think about, you know, as we start talking about, like, police abolishment, like, and defunding and all these terms that have been, um, pretty significant. How are you responding? How do you hear these things um, as, you know, conversations that are taking place in our society today?
2: Yeah, I feel like I'm just on a journey, and I'm trying to learn, and I'm trying to listen, and I'm trying to, as much as possible, minimize uh, whatever intense responses I might have as someone <laughs> from my background, and so um you know, I have been involved in a lot of different kinds of protests. And so there's some that are more like direct action and and stuff happens. And then there's others where you're just kind of gathering and you're talking and you're listening to people talk about how hard their life has been in Portland in particular, you hear stories of police brutality. And then, um, a lot of these places now in in Portland, we have uh, this thing called Snack Block and they bring like free food for everybody involved in protests or these just community events. And so like you're eating this like free vegan pizza and you're drinking like sparkling water and you're listening to these people share and do poetry. And then like one of the speakers will tell you like, okay, everybody take out your cell phone and like, here's the number for like the local domestic violence hotline. Like here's who you should call if you know somebody who's going through something. Um, And then just this list of resources and then pouring into these people who've already been doing the work in underserved communities, usually for no pay and no recognition. Some of those people finally get the chance to be at the microphone. And I'm just sitting there being like, we have a wealth of people. We have just, we're absolutely rich with (laughs) this resource of people who are able to envision a world without police. Um, I don't have that imagination, right? And so I get to listen to other people who do. And it's actually thrilling because it is, sounds very similar to what I was told Christians should want to live like in the world, right? And I want to make that distinction. That's what I was told. That is actually not what I saw being lived out, which has led to me being a pretty typical white evangelical with this sort of um, always having an underlying cognitive dissonance, right? Like we say we believe this and yet we're not living it out. So it's been pretty awesome uh, getting to hang out with a very wide variety of people, you know, everything from like anarchist folks to uh, Muslim women, just there's a wide range of people we get to hear, you know, how they can envision. Everybody wants to be safe. Everybody wants to flourish, you know? And so how can we listen to them as they tell us, ways forward. Um, That's kind of where I'm at personally. But yeah, it's not a scary term to me, defund the police. It's like, let's fund all these other amazing people. You know, that's, that's how I view that phrase at this point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think um, it's just been interesting for me. Like some people respond just like that. And I've actually had good conversations with, so like Free Together, one of the things that I co-lead in Harrisburg, Um, we've had good conversations around it. Um, but I also have noticed some folks, you know, they just tighten up and they just want to like, oh, that's great. And, and, and there's not even a wanting to listen to understand why someone might not want to live under this particular policing system, right? Um, even after they've literally, you know, witnessed black people being murdered before their very eyes and they can't still fathom why someone might not want to um, live under the current system that we have right now. Um, which baffles my mind and, again, tells me that we have restricted our imagination so much. It's so captive to the status quo um, that even the horrors that we witness um, are not enough for us to want to desire something better for all, for all of us, for all God's children. And so I think that it's sad when I, when I see that. Um, but I also want to hopefully, and hopefully this chapter does, right, um, inspires people to have – to dream dangerous dreams right? Mm. Of what can be in our world. I think that, that that's what God wants us to do and is inviting the spirit is at work, drawing us in to evoke um, new visions of what can be. I mean, I think a, a theology of shalom has to, I don't know how you can have a healthy, robust theology of shalom, right? And also be okay with, certainly for, internationally, it's different, but certainly in the U.S., to believe in the U.S. system of policing um, seems to be anti-shalom in every Mm. possible way, right? Um, And Because it's not about the flourishing of all of us, um, especially not for those who've been most vulnerable in in communities that have been ravished for so long, yeah.
2: Yeah, I was thinking about uh, Dr. King uh, said, you know, towards the end of his life that really what white people want is a democracy for them and authoritarian rule for everybody else and uh you know that's a part of where we're at right now um so for me coming from my background and looking at mark 11 it's like it's clear it is time for me and other people like myself to continue to say to the white evangelical church in the united states your fruit is rotten (laughs) you know the fruit is rotten but um i think moving forward you know we're we're not really going to be the community to necessarily listen to about uh where is the good coming? And so I'm so thankful to you. I'm so thankful for your, your work and your book, which you're able to, <laughs> like a few sentences, right? You sum up so many of the syst- systemic problems in the United States and it's so depressing. And yet here you are, this person who still believes in Jesus, still believes that this trouble will not always be with us. And um, yeah, people like you are really, what's keeping me going, I think, as a Christian at this point. So thank you, uh-huh. Drew.
1: I appreciate that. I appreciate it very much. And hopefully, I'm really hoping that, um, in fact, I was thinking about um, when I was rereading this about Jared, who on Inverse, because some of this around the theatrics in the public square, and for those who don't know, I mean, you can get more glimpses if you, obviously, if you're an Inverse listener, then you'll get some of these stories all the time. Um, But he even has some stuff on YouTube in terms of, you know, him, stripping down um, in front of the courthouse and um, video of him being chained up, um, th- these are in some ways like I hope that, that it can create a creative um, ways that we can engage in these kind of theatrics in the public square in the way of Jesus um, as one of the ways that we can respond to oppression and justice in our mm. world. Um, and so I'm hoping that uh, we can be imaginative, right? I, I, I bring up Jared, cause like, even for me, that is stre- like most of my community work is more organizing work, which, you know, there's good stuff that goes on there, but we're not always as imaginative in those kind of ways. And so I think um, even for me, that's pulling me in, inviting me into more than, than what I think I'm always comfortable with, right? And so I think that there's just great opportunities that I really hope, um, these stories will uh, grip us um, to dream God's dream and to embody a counter witness to the oppression and the violence and exploitation that we've just seen so much of. So thank you anyway, for your time, really grateful. And um,
2: thank you. Thank you, Joe.
0: If you wanna be part of this growing global community, you can find more details on our inverse Patreon page, We are seeking to practice a Jubilee economics to make these experiences accessible to everyone, wherever you're found, be it in remote communities in the Kimberley, or a township in Cape Town, or downtown Berlin, or on the south side of Chicago or the suburbs of Sydney. We want to make this accessible for you. So let's work to do that together.